Welcome to the See Me Now Special Edition podcast. I'm your host, Kelsey Coleman, with my co-host here, Caitlin Birdsall, and we are joined by Colorado Mesa University Assistant Professor of Kinesiology and Sport Management Program Director for both the undergrad and graduate programs, Sean Phelps. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for joining us today. You had a non-traditional path of your own. Um, You do have a PhD, but it, it was sort of a, not a straight direct road to that. Is that correct? Yeah, I did not go college, master's, PhD. That's that's not how it worked for me. Uh, I started out as a 424 in the parlance of NCAA athletics. I started out at the university, hated it, transferred to junior college, loved it, transferred to uh, my hometown college, what was then Eastern Montana College, went to grad school in Minnesota, what's now Minnesota State Mankato, didn't get the degree, did the classes, life got in the way, uh, went back to grad school way late in life, really enjoyed it, finished the degree, uh, stumbled into the Salt Lake City Winter Olympics for a year, uh, worked with that organization. What do you mean stumbled in? Like that doesn't just happen, <laughs> stumbled in? Yeah, I mean, it kind of does because I, I, was, I was working uh, in the airline industry uh, and I had this, this management background. So I had a master's degree. I was working on finishing up the master's degree while I was wor- back home in Montana. And um, you just start applying for jobs and threw my hat in the ring for several jobs, never heard back from anything. And then lo and behold, one day I get a phone call saying, we're going to do a phone interview. Then you get another phone call saying, can you get on a plane? We're going to do a face-to-face interview. Uh, and then, hey, you're hired. Uh, be here tomorrow uh, sort of thing. Uh, it was really it was really that rush because I came in only 13 months uh, before the game started. Uh, hmm. So I was one of the last hires in in the department I was in. Uh, did you feel Did you feel kind of like Was it chaotic? Were you Were you like trying to figure it out on the whim, and you know, also trying to kind of show, Oh, I know what I'm doing, but I'm also I also have no idea what I'm doing. One of the things I remember about working for Salt Lake City Organizing Committee um, was that the first day they bring in all the new hires. So this is a constantly evolving organization um, going up into 2002, the February games in 2002. And you walk in your first day and there's a big, they call them all slocks. So everybody's a new hire comes in, meets in the building. Mitt Romney, who's president, um, uh, came out and, you know, and chats with you. And then the HR people come out. The point of the story is, is that they came out and they go, you're not hired for potential. You're hired to do a job now. So uh, the learning curve for me was, was learning the jargon because every industry, every department has its own jargon and slang. And you work in the Olympics, everything's an abbreviation. It's all acronyms. Uh, so you had to learn the acronyms, um, SLOC, IOC, uh, all these different things. And then you had to be able to translate those things. And I worked in the, the main media center. We were responsible for logistics for press operations. So... Um, not the broadcast side, but the print side of things. So, hey, New York Times needs, their computers are down, they need to borrow laptops. We have those. Um, and we were, we were based in the Salt Palace in Salt Lake City. So, um, yeah, they, well, I did say stumble because I actually had applied to go to Florida State to grad school. I thought I was going to work on a PhD and, you know, one of those, hey, let's weigh the options here. I can always go to grad school. Um, so I went and worked for Salt Lake City. And you did end up going to Florida State to get your PhD yep. in the end. Yep. Yeah, so I went from the games, had the summer off, uh, well, kind of. Um, I worked um, the Montana Special Olympics. I got hired as a 
games operator uh, for their games that summer of, 2000, of 2001 and then, or 2002, excuse me. And then, yeah, I went to Florida State, moved to Tallahassee, packed up my little truck, pulled the U-Haul down and um, here I am, a Montana boy and not quite the deep south, but you could see the deep south. So, you know, I found it really interesting when we were chatting before the show, you've um, been involved in a lot of, I think, different organizations, Special Olympics, like you mentioned, the regular Olympics. Um, Could you talk to us a little bit more about what those experiences have been like and, you know, why that's beneficial for your students that you teach now in our sports management program? Working um, for an Olympic organizing committee um, is surreal is an overused word, but the amount of money that's casually tossed around uh, is mind-boggling. One of the things that was done at the Salt Palace was the main media center. First time that the press and the broadcasters, they typically hate each other in the Olympic Games. There's a long animosity between the two because broadcasters pay a lot of money to broadcast. Print doesn't pay anything. You have, because you have rights, you have television rights. We built offices um, for a hundred and some news organizations in the Salt Palace. And because the Salt Palace um, has a very tight t- window. Okay, hey, games are over in, in February. Okay, what's the next thing coming in, in in March? So they're talking about you spent several million dollars building all these temporary offices, and then you're going to bring in a bulldozer in and just plow everything out the back. Okay, gone. Okay, no trace uh, within a matter of a couple days. Um, versus go to work for Special Olympics, and they have zero money. Um, Special Olympics Montana hat. At that time, they had, an, they had an executive director, and I think they had two office staff. That's why I was brought in as a contractor, because uh, the games are the, that summer. The games are being held in Billings, Montana, my hometown. And then, having worked in college athletics, um, both as at Division II, NCAA Division II, but also being a junior college product, um, it's just the amount of resources. And and the job is the job, uh, regardless of. Do I have a multi-million dollar budget or do I have to pay for things out of my pocket? And I think that's something that to get across to students is that, you know, hey, one or two students might hit the lottery and get to work for the Broncos and have tremendous resources. Um, But others might work for nonprofits that have no money. So how do you get to be creative? Do you see yourself being kind of scrappy because of your nonlinear path? And has that helped you? I think I think there's uh, I won't say there's a chip on the shoulder, but. When I was a junior college student, so it's now called Northwest College. It was Northwest Community College when I went there in Powell, Wyoming. I looked at those student athletes playing all the different sports, men's and women's basketball, women's volleyball, uh, men's wrestling, rodeo program. And, and I often thought, these kids, okay, I was a kid too, but these kids, they're, they're fighting for their next life because, it, because after two years, they're done. If they don't get a scholarship to play at a, a school that's a four-year school, they're done. And so that sort of work ethic, that sort of desire and drive um, that, that can come from that, I think, I think that's um, beneficial. Uh, certainly was in my case. Yeah, you know, I think that's uh, part of CMU's culture, too, as we are. We're kind of this scrappy university here on the Western Slope. So I love to hear that that's kind of your background, um, too. And so another thing I wanted to touch base on is, you know, you've been involved with a lot of different organizations. Um, You have your, you know, master's, PhD. But what brought you to CMU and maybe specifically sports management? Because I don't know if that was always kind of your end goal or if that kind of came out of the evolution of your education and journey here. I I taught in New Zealand for eight years and I moved back to help uh, one of my brothers with aging parents. Both my parents had some, some health problems. 
uh, and then uh, life allowed uh, us to move on. Uh, and so my brother said, hey, look, if you, you came back from New Zealand, you stayed home for four years, you, you know, if you want to go, teach, teach. And so I had applied for other jobs. Uh, you know, as an academic, that's, that's what you do. You're like, it's like anything else. But one of the things with Mesa uh, is that in previous life, I worked for what was then called TriFed USA from 89 to 93. So I vaguely remember Mesa State College, okay? Uh, you know, when it was still Mesa State College. Um, you know, Grand Junction, I lived in the Springs. Grand Junction, middle of nowhere, okay? Uh, but I knew, I did enough research on the school online, the great thing about the internet, you can see all these pictures and you go, that's not what I recall, <laughs> okay? Uh, and then I was fortunate that I got to be brought in for, for a face-to-face -face interview. Um, and I remember one of the people who gave me the campus tour was apologizing and saying, oh yeah, some of these buildings are a bit old. Uh, and, and, I'm, and I laugh because when I, I was doing some adjunct work at Montana State University Billings uh, when I was back with my parents, and I went to elementary school on that campus in the early 70s. Their science building was old and decrepit in the 70s, and it was still in existence in the 2000s. Uh, so to walk on this campus and go, oh, look at this, look at this, look at this, and then you go, okay, look at the sports uh, environments, okay. Oh yeah, we have, an, we have a field turf football practice field. We have a 50 meter indoor swimming pool that can be reconfigured into 25. Oh, we, we were gonna build a baseball uh, facility on campus. Oh, we're gonna build a softball facility on campus, okay. And you know, this is before we knew the plans for the new track, okay. But still you walk around and you go, and there are 26, 27 varsity sports. You go, we're a division one school. I mean, seriously, we, we operate at sports-wise, we're operating at what a lot of division one schools are. So. Resources are there. So obviously you go, okay, something's going well here. Um, and then the program itself, um, you, you go through the interview process, which is a bit like a car wash because they just run you through in a very short period of time. And you start talking to people and they go, no, there's a history here, but uh, we're, we want to upgrade. And the master's degree was coming online. So that was a big uh, factor for me. Um, I like to think that I'm good at creating things uh, ground uh, at the ground level beginning. So that was a big selling point uh, for me was to go, wow, this school's got some resources. Um, they're focused on some issues that I like, first-gen students. Um, in our previous discussions, I said that, hey, my parents were first-gen. Uh, and so uh, all the boys now, it was just kind of the accepted policy, and which is something you don't know if, you're, if you've never been to college. So... The, the resources, the materials here, the facilities. Uh, when somebody apologizes saying, oh, that building's 30 years old. Okay, if that's the worst thing, then <laughs> life's that's pretty good. A, yeah, that's not too bad. <laughs> Let's talk about your family dynamic because I, you're, I know your parents, uh, they raised three boys all around the same age. And it sounds like you've all done, you know, very well. You've, you've, your parents were first gen, so you three were able to, to advance uh, your higher education and continue on learning. What was that like growing up with two brothers and that competitive kind of dynamic? I think that often happens. Yeah, we're, we're pretty close uh, in age. Uh, you know, 13 months separate myself and my brother Scott, uh, my youngest brother Corey, a uh, couple, couple plus years. We all have our distinct personalities. Uh, my brother Scott, who's the middle, is 
the logistics person, boy, any business, anything he could do, if at, you know, scheduling, managing, he, that's why he became an entrepreneur, became his own business owner. Um, he took a slightly different approach. My brother Corey and I were much more similar as far as sports in high school and so forth. Hey, it's football, basketball, track, those sorts of things. My brother Scott was a violinist, um, was a tennis player, ran cross country, so slightly different, but we're all involved uh, in, in things. And so we, we had that opportunity that, um, yeah, you... If you watch The Simpsons, when The Simpsons sit down to eat and it's just that, you know, it's kind of like that way with the Phelps house when we were young, because if you were three boys, yeah. if you didn't get in there and get your meal, okay, you're probably going to get pushed out. So. I can only imagine. I grew up with three sisters, so I mean, I can only imagine it because ours was quite different, but. And, and but education was always there because, uh, you know, my dad was an English teacher, um, taught at university for a while, taught high school. Um, so books were always around. Uh, and it was just an assumption that you always had books. Um, parents were keen on, you know, hey, if Sean gets something, well, then Scott and Corey have to have something. Um, to, you know, there's trying to make that equity uh, around that. And then from there, it's like, it, it wasn't Darwinism that, hey, survival of the strongest. It was, all right, you're each going to figure out what you want to do uh, and move on from there. That's awesome. So um, kind of switching gears a little bit, you mentioned previously New Zealand and that you were down there for, I believe, eight years. Is that correct? correct? So I'd like to dig into that a little bit more. So I know I studied abroad in Australia and so did Kelsey. And although Australia and New Zealand are quite different, uh, you know, I I thoroughly enjoyed my time down there. So I can only imagine getting to live somewhere like that for eight years. So I was hoping you could talk to us about what brought you down there? What did you do there? And then maybe how do you bring that knowledge back here to CMU's campus? One of the things I'll try to emphasize to, to any student is somebody's always listening. And what I mean by that is when I was at Florida State, uh, I, was, I was an outlier. I'm being polite saying I was old compared to my classmates. Non-traditional student by far, okay? <laughs> How old were you in, when you were uh, in the program? Let's see, so I, I turned 40 uh, at the beginning of my second year down there. Most of my classmates were 25, 26. Uh, there was one other, uh, one other student in my class. Donnie was about my age. And there, were, there was one student a couple years ahead of us um, who's a little older. So, was, so in that regard, you're, you're, you have different life experiences uh, and so forth. So I'd mentioned in passing one time to classmates that I'd go international. If somebody offered me a job, I'd go international. I'd do that. And... <laughs> Okay. I graduated in uh, April 2006, and just like most recent graduates here at Mesa, I got to have a job. And a classmate of mine from Florida State contacted me and said, there's going to be a position opening up at this school in New Zealand. You need to apply for it. Uh, and so what I thought was a throwaway line amongst classmates, somebody remembered. Uh, and so that got the ball started. I did the, I did the interview uh, this is pre-Zoom era, so I'm sitting on a cell phone <laughs> talking. Uh, they're on a speakerphone, so trying to do uh, an interview that way. But, yeah, I got the job. Uh, it, was very, it was very rushed, <laughs> once again. Um, I only had a couple weeks to get my affairs in order, so to speak, um, to make the move. Uh, so that, re that requires a lot because they have socialized medicine, so I'd have an extensive medical checkup. I had to go through an FBI background check, um, deep dive, um, because I'm moving to a country that they want to make sure I don't have cancer or that I'm not, you know, some evil person. Um, and then, yeah, landed and uh, 
you know, right into an English speaking culture. But if you lived in Australia, you know, that's not the case because boy, trying to figure out the language uh, and some of the accents. Uh, Auckland's a little more neutral than the South Island of New Zealand, which is a little more Scottish. So they have a tendency to kind of mush their words, but still trying to pick up the slang. Um, what? What was that? Dog's breakfast? Uh, <laughs> jumper is one that always sticks yeah, out jumper, to me. I'm like, it, jumper. Um, one of the things that was unique about my department was also kind of kinesiology and focus is that most of us were imports. Um, we all came from, um, so there were Australians, Canadians, um, people from the UK, uh, myself as an American. And uh, so that was a unique setting to be in because it wasn't just, hey, you're one homogenous group. Everybody had different experiences. And so my eight years there, it was fantastic lifestyle, uh, teaching New Zealand students who often, who their only exposure to the States was ESPN. All right, so if you, if you only look at life through one lens, it has a tendency to be, to be greatly skewed. Um, or the students who had no idea um, about, and my colleagues had no idea about America. So it was the ugly American sort of thing. You know, we are the world. How can you call it the World Series, okay? It's just New York and Boston or whatever for baseball. I go, well, valid point. Uh, but so those lessons be able to say, okay, here's how the states work. Uh, and then here's what New Zealand does. Uh, and then try to compare and contrast those two. And then bringing that same thing back here. Hey, you know, in New Zealand, it only takes you three years to get a bachelor's degree because you don't have essential learning requirements. So you go right into the major, which is good and bad. Um, sports are different. There's no university sports. It's more intramural-like. Uh, so there's no excitement built around athletics as we have here in the States. Uh, and so students, AUT, Auckland University of Technology, is very much a commuter campus. Uh, the campus I was on, you know, students come in, they're there for a couple hours, three hours, poof, they disappear. So there's no ties. There's no, there's no, you know, I tell students here, I go, hey, you're going to graduate within three to six months, the alumni association is going to contact you. Okay. And if you're a student athlete, oh my, sure, they're going to contact you because we're going to, we want to strengthen those ties that bind. There you didn't. So how do you reach students and get them to be excited about the school? When I lived in uh, New Zealand for a little bit as well, but on the South Island in Christchurch, and I remember that was a big problem when I was there was that all of their graduates were were leaving the country. And I don't remember the term that they used, but... Brain drain was one of them. They were, yeah, they were trying really hard to, you know, how do we get, we're educating, you know, our people, but how do we get them to stay? And so I, I love living there. Um, the culture is amazing. Do you ever think you'll go back? To visit? I have a couple of friends who are relentless <laughs> in their pursuit to try to get me to come back. Um, it's my far. brother Scott's <laughs> pondered, seriously has pondered. He's reaching, he's very successful in his businesses. Um, he's actually researched what it would take if he wanted to move there and live um, because he's a bit fascinated uh, by what New Zealand has to offer. So it's in the back of my mind. I mean, had COVID not still be hammering us uh, that w we were going to, my brother and I were going to go in December. Um, now, we're fingers crossed, maybe January, if the border, because they're pretty much shut down. They've got an open, it's just between Australia and New Zealand right now. Everything else is pretty much shut down. But uh, yeah, it is a great lifestyle there. You're, you're a triathlete. And for, I think, Caitlin and myself, like that seems crazy. It's um, out of my realm for sure. I don't, I don't think I'm going to be running a marathon anytime soon. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I think you have, you have, if COVID, you know, permits, you have some exciting things coming up in regards to triathlons. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, so this is my 39th year being involved in the sport. 
Um, so either I'm thick-headed and can't figure out that it's hard or I'm still chasing like that, uh, my surfer brother, Corey, chasing that perfect wave, trying to find the perfect wave. So this year, uh, yeah, I, was, I had qualified uh, in 2019 for the International Triathlon Union World Championships in Edmonton. Uh, in 2020, it's supposed to be held in August 2020. Well, obviously, COVID um, crushed that. So, what's now called World Triathlon used to be called International Triathlon Union. They rebranded. They decided they were going to split the races. So, I'm in what's called the sprint distance race, the short stuff um, 750 meter swim, 20K bike, 5K run. They decided they were going to split that and move this to Bermuda. Uh, and then the Olympic distance race, what they call the standard, is 1.5K swim, 40K bike, 10K run. That was going to stay in Edmonton uh, because Bermuda doesn't have the infrastructure to handle tens of thousands of, of athletes coming in at one fell, fell swoop. So um, this is a world championship, and triathlon's a bit of a, a unique animal is that the age group races take place in the same setting as the elite athletes who are going to the Olympics. That's, that's how the sport was created. That's how the sport grew up, is that age group athletes and the elite athletes operate side by side. Uh, and so I'm going to Bermuda, knocking on wood, uh, in October um, for um, the Sprint World Championships. And does that, does that push you more when, you know, competing against the best of the best? It, it's more that I'm testing myself than it is against others. Others become the means by which to test myself. Um, it's the sports taking me to tremendous places. I've you know lived in New Zealand for eight years, but I did a triathlon in Australia. Uh, done I've done an Ironman in Switzerland. I got to do a Hawaii Ironman uh, in 2002. I got to go to the Cook Islands, um, Rarotonga, uh, and do triathlon there. Uh, so it's, it's a great excuse to just try to stay healthy and fit. Um, it's, it's really a child's sport because if you think about it, child rides his or her bike to the swimming pool or to the swimming hole and splashes about and then gets on the bike and rides to a park and then they run around the park and so forth. So in that regards, it's very simplistic. Uh, so I try to keep it that way as best as possible. But yeah, I'm, I'm competitive with myself. Uh, the people around uh, are a means by which I can kind of, for good or bad, judge myself uh, where I'm at on a particular day. Well, before we let you go today, I just had one more question for you and kind of bringing it back to CMU into the sports management program. What's maybe one thing you would want people to know about sports management, whether it's at the undergraduate or graduate level? What's maybe something they wouldn't wouldn't know about it. I think that uh, at our, uh, with our graduate program, it's completely online and you can, can finish it in a year, uh, which is not an outlier, but to, to be able to say, hey, you can start in August of one year and then the following August, you have a master's degree. Now there's a thesis track and non-thesis track. And so there's some slight differences in the classes you take, but you can be done in a year. Uh, and that's attractive. And the program was designed for the working professional. Uh, to be able to do do the degree. So if you go full-time, you can do it in a year. If you go part-time, it might take you two years because you only do six credits a semester. Um, I think another thing, too, is that to emphasize at our grad level is that women are grossly underrepresented in the sport industry. Um, 
grossly underrepresented. And so Dr. Milstein and myself, we're very proud is that our female enrollment is about 50% each year. Um, and so these are the young women that are going to become the future leaders. And so being able to say, hey, look, in a male-dominated industry, you can come attend online, but it's not just one woman sitting in a class, virtual class of 20 men. It's, you know, eight or nine women uh, with eight or nine men. So in that regards, I think we're, we're ahead of the curve compared to many institutions is that we've been actively trying to recruit young women to, hey, take the next step, um, become, get the master's degree and let that open doors for you. I love that. That's great to hear. And I didn't know that. So thank you for sharing that today. Yeah. Thank you for being here. We really appreciate it. Thank you. This is the See Me Now Special Edition podcast. To listen to this episode as well as other episodes, you can find us on See Me Now or on Spotify.